0: is offered through Jim Solnier and Associates LLC a registered investment advisor.
1: This is the Retirement and IRA show coming to you from Beautiful Northern Colorado. Join us as Certified Financial Planner Jim Saulnier, as well as Colorado State University Finance Instructor and Certified Financial Planner Chris Stein, teach you about IRAs, 401ks, annuities, Social Security, pension plans, and estate planning in a fun and enjoyable show. Whether you are listening live in Colorado or streaming from their website or iTunes podcast, Jim and Chris want you to know that they're available to help you plan for your retirement. Just visit their website at jimhelps.com. That's Jim, H E L P S.com. And click the Meet the Team button on the homepage. Now, here's Jim and Chris with today's show.
2: Welcome to the Retirement and IRA Show, EDU edition for this week. On this week's show, I think we've uh, finally gotten to the last episode regarding the recap of. The Secure Act 2.0 information that Jim brought us back from his latest uh, instructional gathering for the in the Ed Slot program. So, we had just a few uh, housekeeping items, a few, you know, random uh, elements that were left over we hadn't talked about before. We've spent several shows on this, so this is um, the last one of those in a series. And uh, I'll bring Jim on because we've got. Somewhat limited time today, so those of you who are committed to an hour and a half of walking on our show, you'll have to reduce the speed of this show just a little bit to get your hour and a half in, um, because I think we're going to be more like an hour. So the day got a little away from us, is all I'll say. So Jim, uh, why don't you uh, chime in as soon as you're ready and share with us the last nuggets of glorious information that we haven't shared with people (laughs) about... We will, uh, because
3: there's probably more. And as I look through my notes, and because time is tight today, I'm thinking, "Eh, I don't think we'll get through everything. But as far as I'm concerned, we'll be done with Secure. Uh, There might be, there's definitely uh, provisions of Secure that we're not covering on this little series. It's just enough. I don't want people to get bored. Uh, Besides, um, National Annuity Awareness Month kicks off in June. And today is, I think, the last day of May. Oh, tomorrow's the last mm-hmm. day of May, I forget. Mm-hmm. And we'll be dedicating a lot of shows, both EDU and Q&A, to annuities in the month of June, just like we did last year. It's kind of a new thing that we're going to do. So there's a ton of stuff that we can talk about and teach you all about it. This is not going to be an annuity sales pitch. You all know that. we don't. Most annuities we don't like, but there's a, a time and a place we feel for them. And I just want to give you guys the education you need to make your own knowledgeable and informed decision on annuities. Whether you use them or not, I could care less. But it's going to be a reason to, first of all, take us from doing a series of secure shows. Uh, It's now June. Let's start doing a series of shows in honor of National Annuity Awareness Month. So I want to put that out there, a little PSA. If you have annuity questions... Send them to me, but in the subject line, please put annuity so I'll be able to easily find it. I'm also, since I no longer print these folks, I'm trying to do it all electronically, be young and hip. Uh, I'm going to do keyword searches through all my old emails, and if you sent annuity questions in in the past, listen up. You might get yours answered because I'm going to look for annuity-specific questions for the upcoming Q&A show. And in a way, Chris, Social Security, which we always lead with on our Q&A shows, is one big federal annuity for all <laughs> True. intent and purposes. True. So Social Security will fit right in with the tenor of our shows in the month of June. But before we begin, Chris has his own little PSA that he wants to chat about. Uh, I'm going to have him do it because I told him at lunch oh. today. Mm-hmm. If I talk about it, I'll be on it for 45 minutes. But why don't you share a little bit, Chris, of what we're looking for and and a uh, couple of things that we're going to ask listeners to do if they're interested. Yeah. So
2: kind of keeping in mind that we're going to do our best over the coming years to uh, expand our ability to um, service, provide retirement planning assistance to those out there in podcast land who uh, become attracted to our process and our approach to retirement planning, we're going to start uh, accumulating uh, resumes or letters of interest or whatever you might want to call it from people who might be out there who've embraced our approach, who really like it, that, uh, might have a particular skill set that we could, uh, uh, benefit from. Um, and you might you know, be interested in doing a little part-time or maybe full-time work as it comes down to it. Uh, this is not an opportunity that's, uh, readily available immediately. We're just, we just realized, you know, when the time comes, when we want to add some capacity, be nice if we had a uh, file folder full of folks that we knew were interested. So if you've got um, you know expertise, certainly if you have a tax uh, background, a CPA or an enrolled agent, so in personal income taxes, those of you in the wild world of uh, corporate taxes uh, maybe don't have the exact uh, toolbox for, for what uh, we could use. But uh, if you've got personal income tax experience with credentials, that'd be uh, one group we'd love to kind of file away in our, our file of interest. Uh, if you've got uh, um, um, insurance background, so the types of insurance that we generally run into in a retirement planning practice, maybe, you know, life insurance, uh, annuities, income annuities in particular, and LTC, long-term care insurance policies, that's uh, uh, an area. If you were interested in kind of maybe folding into a true financial planning practice uh, down the road, Um, send us a letter of of your interest with a little bit about yourself. And then, you know, even, you know, those are credentialed or licensed uh, kind of positions. But, you know, if you've just kind of really become a follower of our approach and maybe do it on your own, and maybe you're the the vanguardian Excel spreadsheet loving uh, type, and you've essentially done financial planning on your own as a do-it-yourselfer. But you feel like you're, you know, so into our process that you could explain it to other people or or handle questions as they come in uh, about our process from people who may not be as familiar as you are. Um, and you're a student, in, you know, you know, provide maybe you're semi retired or retired from your from your previous career. Um, you might be perfect fit for someone, you know, the in our to put into our stable down the road sometime. So. Yeah, just, you know, Jim, where do you want people to send that stuff? You want not just send
3: them directly to you or for now? You can send them to me. I'm, I'm fine with that. I'd be the best person to send them to. Really, also what we're looking for is to maintain a, a stable of, of interested parties. Let's put it that way. When we continue to expand and grow, uh, Chris and I had to, or I and Chris came along and agreed, you know, have to make a decision. And I have decided that I would like to grow the practice. I have put that on hold for several years, especially post-stroke. Many of you know I nearly died two and a half years ago, and it caused me to do some rethinking. And what do I want to do? And what am I going to do with the firm? And I have this vision of where I want to take the firm. And how I want to create what, in my eyes, is going to be the ideal retirement planning practice to take care of yours truly, folks. I'm going to retire someday. Chris is going to retire someday. That's why we plan as a firm, excuse me, we plan as a team here at the firm. It's always been a a hallmark of what I've been trying to do. So if I was to sadly pass away, maybe the next stroke I'm not so lucky on, or I retire, the firm isn't going to skip a beat. And we have that today. Now, granted, Chris and I are the the leaders of the firm, and it would be big shoes to fill, but the firm could continue. We know, or I know, in order to get the firm to the level I want and to where I want it, in the not-too-distant future, we're not hiring now, but we do know in the not-too-distant future, could be six months from now, could be 18 months from now, we will want to bring new talent on board. And we're just interested on who's out there and might be interested in maybe working with us as a team member. That's all we're doing, just looking for interest. If you're a tax professional, a financial planning professional, an insurance professional, especially with annuities and long-term care in life. And as Chris said, just maybe a Vanguard VG Uh, As as I affectionately call you you guys, the the engineer type, do-it-yourselfers, love financial planning, but also believe in our process. That's the key. We're not looking for people who don't believe in our process. But if you believe in our process and understand it enough and feel you could actually answer questions about our process or maybe describe our process with a little bit of training and coaching, of course, uh, let us know. That's all we're saying. We're just trying to fill our stable with interested people so if and when the time comes, uh, we'll be better positioned for it. But I did a lot of soul searching, folks, and I'm not making that up, on what I want to do post-stroke. And you know, we paused, and we've been paused for a very long time, and I've made the decision. We will continue moving forward. And in order to do that, we're going to need talent. And that's all we're doing. Kind of a little talent. So what is that? Uh, isn't there a show, a talent shirt show? I know they're all over the place. America's Got Talent. America's Got Talent. That's it. America's Got Talent. So I guess we're looking for podcast listeners with talent. How's that? <laughs> nice. Not not quite as interesting a show, I'm sure. I don't think ABC will pick it up in, in syndication. Yeah. <laughs> but that's essentially what we're looking for. If you've got a talent that you think could benefit us, just let me know. It's all we're saying. And we 'll see where it goes and if you're a retiree or soon to be retiree just looking for part time that's fine with us we'd love to work with ret- we're a retirement planning firm for Pete's sakes working with retirees and a flex schedule absolutely no problem or full time if you're still young and hungry and want to grow in the industry same thing so All doors open, we just don't have any openings now, but this is going to be the pool we're going to go to first. Okay, anyways, I knew I would ramble on with that, but um, anyways, enough is enough. I want to finish secure, or at least as much as we can in today's recording, and uh, we do have a hard break shortly, so uh, Chris will scream and yell at me when it's time to shut up, but I'm going to keep going through my notes of things that I took at the Ed Slot meeting where we went over secure two. As you're going to see, and as I've been trying to tell you, we have the law, we don't have the guidance. And think back to Secure One, way, 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 way back there, three years ago, in 2020, when Secure One came out, it took the IRS until, excuse me, August of last year, which would have been 22, took about a year, and a, yeah, about a year and a half. For them to come out with the guidance from Secure One to explain how all this is going to happen. Secure Two is even a bigger nightmare. Maybe not so much on Stretch, which was huge in Secure One, but all these other provisions. There's no guidance. Congress said, hey, here's what we want to do. IRS, you figure out how it's going to be done. You set the rules. And nowhere more does this shine than in the one aspect of secure, next to extending RMDs to 75, which I think is much to do about nothing. This provision got the most press. Do you know what that provision is, Pete? If Pete was here, he would have answered He'd that. answer
2: the same way Chris would. Right. And the one with all the press was the... 529 to Roth, rollover.
3: Absolutely. I don't want to say this is much to do about nothing. It's a neat provision. But I want to read something to you directly from the man himself, if I can find it now. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. From Pete? From who? No.
2: <laughs> from Pete. You know uh, no, not
3: no, go. not from Pete. This is directly from Ed. And he wrote... And, and what he's saying here, especially for you VG engineers, anti-tax people, which I will put myself in that category, chill on this. He stated, and I quote, despite a barrage of questions from people trying to find ways to exploit this 529 plan to Roth IRA rollover process, we have yet to hear a single viable strategy to double up on Roth contributions or otherwise leverage this rollover for more than what it is essentially designed to do. So many people, and I agree with that quote, Chris, it sounds like this is going to be ripe for gotchas, for loopholes, for being able to do things. And I do agree to an extent it might help get $35,000 into someone's Roth who otherwise might not be eligible to contribute to a Roth. But that's about it. There's not much more you can do. It's fairly straightforward and it's very Very restrictive. So what are we talking about here? We're not going to turn this into a discussion of 529 plans for two reasons. Number one, we're short on time. Number two, Chris and I are not experts on 529 plans. We don't do college planning. That's not what our firm does. Our firm is a distribution firm. You all know that. You're listening to the Retirement and IRA show. This isn't the Retirement and College Aid and Tuition show. It's the Retirement and IRA show. Most people who come to us, Their kids are already done school or their grandkids are going to school and they just want us to factor in X amount of dollars as part of their minimum dignity floor or fund number, wherever they want to put those expenses, into funding grandkids college. That's about the extent we get into it. 529s have a whole host of rules. We're not going to get into any of that. But if you have a 529 plan... I guess one of the biggest downsides to them that everybody would say is what, Chris? Now, I'm going to put all this money away from my kid mm-hmm. for college, and then what? We always hear
2: it. Oh, what if they don't go to college, or they're super smart? What if they get uh, you know, free ride, uh, maybe an athletic scholarship or something like that, and then uh, there's all this money that ends up in the 529 and no kid to use it?
3: Right. That's, that's people's biggest fear. Now, it's not necessarily a massive fear. You're just going to have to pay a 10% penalty tax on top of income tax on any gain if the money is not used for college. It's not the end Mm -hmm. of the world, but it's just an additional 10% penalty tax. But Chris is right. And, And years and years and years ago, before my firm truly specialized in retirement planning, I did a few 529 plans, and I realized how complicated they were, and I would talk to people about them, and I don't feel comfortable talking about them anymore because it's been 15-plus years before I I actually had to deal with these. But that was an overriding question. What if my son or daughter have a scholarship? What if they join the military, and the military pays for schooling? Mm -hmm. What if they decide not to go to college? I know, Chris, you're, you're a college instructor. I get it. But honestly, folks, I think college is overrated. Not if you're going to be an attorney or a doctor, but how about a mechanic? And we are not disparaging mechanics. A mechanic put us in our place once. He made, I forgot what it was, it was 130, 160 grand a year, Chris. It was just an amazing amount of money as a mechanic. And yes, he might have gone to college, but you could also go to a Vogue school and learn that very skilled trade. You don't need to go to a four-year degree or an eight-year degree or a graduate degree at all. College is overrated for a lot of people. And I think that's one of the reasons it's outrageously expensive. It's just crazy. Colleges think they can charge what whatever they want. But for many careers, you don't need a college education. For our career, I mean... To digress a second, Chris, what do you need to do to become a financial planner? Or at least call yourself a financial planner and give financial advice?
2: You have to pass some pretty simple
3: tests. Series 65. That's it. That's it. Mm -hmm. You don't need a college education. A Series 65 exam, and you can become a fiduciary advisor. Brokers get thrown under the bus, and I know there's some brokers listening to this, some registered reps. I get it. You guys have a hard time because of quote-unquote evil commissions. But you know and I know, the FINRA exams make the Series 65 look like a cakewalk. So I will give credit to brokers. If they pass the Series 7, which has been augmented a little bit now, but back in the day when I was required to take it, Series 7 was a serious exam, and it still is to a degree. They just broke it into two separate exams. You pass the Series 7, you know the products you're selling. You want to be a financial planner, you pass a test called the Series 65. There's 120 questions on it. About 100 plus of them are on a law written 80 years ago. It has nothing to do with financial planning. They're going to ask you about a law written in 1940. And then you can call yourself a financial planner and actually charge people to do financial planning. It's crazy. My point is you don't even have to go to college to do what Chris and I do. Now, you wouldn't be able to become a CFP without a college education. I get that, but but you could. So 529s get a lot of bad raps because of that. What do I do with all this money? One of the things that I've always loved for those of you who have 529s and you're entering retirement, You can name yourself as beneficiary. You can be owner, take your kids off it, or name grandkids and let it stay open till they go to college. There's no forced RMDs from 529s. Before you start flooding this money into Roth IRAs, look at your grandchildren. You can name them and look at yourself in retirement. You can start studying a vocation. You can take adult education night classes or day classes at your local universities. All of that can come out tax-free for yourself. You can change beneficiaries to yourself. That I always thought, Chris, was one of the selling points of 529s if they're not used. And you can also take the money out, name yourself as beneficiary, take the money out for yourself, use for retirement, and just pay 10% penalty on it in addition to the income taxes owed on any growth. Or
2: find some qualified educational program do you do for yourself.
3: I love that one as a mm-hmm. retiree. You can be 70, 75, mm-hmm. 80, 85.
2: Go to the Cordon Bleu. The who? Paris.
3: I thought that was food. Isn't Cordon Bleu a salad? It's,
2: no, it's... Oh. it's
3: <laughs> I have no idea what Cordon Bleu is. I thought it was a salad.
2: I think you'd like it. You should try it sometime. No, it's not a salad, <laughs> although there might be one. But it's also the name of a school.
3: Oh, I didn't know that. No. Yeah. Seriously, are you just screwing me?
2: It's a very famous cooking school I in have Paris. never heard of it.
3: Mm. Oh, it's a cooking school. Maybe that's why <laughs> I thought it was a salad. Did they teach you how to make salad? something to do with the salad? I'm sure they do. I don't do. know. But I was as well about, as other things. Whatever. Getting off track here. Yeah. So 529s have that flexibility, folks. So look at 529s like that. Like, wow, I can do all this kind of cool stuff with it. But if you still have money in there, Congress thought, hey, let's let some of that money go into a Roth tax-free. Not necessarily the contributions because your money is not tax deductible at the federal level. It may be tax deductible at the state level depending on what state you're in and the unique rules around it. Some states require you to put money in only their state plan, not another state plan. But some states don't allow you to deduct anything. So they're all different. You have to know your state rules. But on the federal level, you can't deduct the money going in. But you could take the money out tax-free, the growth tax-free, if used for college. If not, the growth is subject to taxes and a 10% penalty. And that 10% penalty does not go away at age 59 and a half. The 10% penalty stays there unless the expense was a qualified educational expense for the beneficiary. So, Congress thought we should let some of that money go into a Roth IRA. They made this very restrictive. So before you get all excited, couple of things. It does not take effect until next year. I would assume the IRS is working diligently to figure out a lot of the ambiguity in the law. There's assumptions Ed's group has made when they were teaching us this, but there's no guarantee it's going to turn out Once the guidance comes out, again, it took the IRS 18 months to issue guidance on secure one. They have six more months to issue guidance on the Roth to 529 to Roth transfer. I don't think they're going to have the guidance out within six more months. So it may be another situation, Chris, where people start doing it only to get mm-hmm. guidance later to realize a totally different set of rules than what they thought, similar to what they did with the 10-year rule. Remember that. Everybody followed the 5-year rule for the 10-year rule, and then they came out with this ALAR provision. Okay, so how does this work? First, the 529 must be 15 years old or more. So they truly want a 529 that was created for college. Not as a workaround to this. So if you are a highly paid individual, whether a, a mechanic, a lawyer, a doctor, you make way more money to be able to contribute to a Roth. This could be a neat way, you think it to get money in because there's no earnings limit at all for the beneficiary receiving the transfer into the Roth from the 529. The earnings limit goes away. But you can't run out as a, let's say a high, we'll keep talking about mechanics, a highly paid mechanic can't think, oh my goodness, I'm going to go out and I'm going to open up a 529, I'm going to name myself as beneficiary, which you can totally do. So I'm going to create a 529, name myself as beneficiary, and then transfer that money into a Roth. First, you're going to have to wait 15 years before you can do it because the 529 has to be 15 years old. And then any contributions and their associated earnings cannot be more or less than five years in the, the account. So you can't open an account, wait 15 years, then put money in and try to move that money immediately. Money has to stew inside the 529 for the 15 years, well, the five twenty needs to be open for 15 years. Money has to stew for five years. Think of, that was my question that I asked the group. How are you going to keep track of this, Chris? Is it, It's got to be a form similar to 8606. Yeah, something. Because the 529, you cannot move any contribution and growth made during the last five years so it's only contributions from year six and earlier so you're going to have to keep ordering rules keeping track of each year's contribution and the associated growth on those contributions but not contributions within the last five years you can't include that growth so you're somehow going to have to proportionately weigh how much of the growth is attributed to money that was put in six years or more and how much of the growth is within the last five years and not move any of that. Can you figure out how you're going to do that, Chris? Cause I can't
2: with a very sophisticated spreadsheet designed by a VG engineer, <laughs>
3: <laughs> but this is what the custodians are going to have to track. Cause I guessing the custodian is going to have to report this on a 1099 or is it going to come down to you reporting it on a form like 8606 no guidance nobody knows what are the ordering rules we assume the ordering rules will be original the oldest contributions are coming out first and is it just contributions like in a roth just contributions then growth it's it's I don't know, folks, on how this is going to work. But one idea, even though Ed said he can think of no viable, unique little loophole, I'm intrigued if you have someone where you know, you have a son or a daughter where you know, these kids are killing it. They're going to be a top-notch Tesla mechanic or they're going to be a top-notch attorney or doctor or whatever electrical engineer or any type of engineer they are going to have earnings far above maybe you just open up a Roth excuse me a 529 now put 500 bucks in get a 529 going and in 15 years they can start doing it but you tell the kid hey it's open stop putting money in just get money in And in 15 years, we're going to be able to get 35,000. Now, in the law, there is no automatic inflation adjustment on that 35,000. I guarantee you, future Congresses will raise that. And maybe someday they'll make it automatic tied to inflation. So just think of it in today's dollars. I agree, in 15 years, 35 grand ain't going to be that much. But I'm sure they'll allow you to move the equivalent of 35 grand. If you really do feel your kid is going to kill it, Start opening if you don't have one already. And if you do have a 529 for your kid, don't be in a rush to close it. Leave a little bit. Even if you want to take out the money, name yourself as beneficiary. Take the money out for yourself. Then name your child again when there's like 500 bucks in there just to keep that one open for 15 years. Because there's no guidance, Chris. Is it 15 years like the Roth where you can open up a Roth? Now, the Roth only has that five-year rule, but you can open up a Roth and then close it. And five years later, you will be considered to have a Roth for five years. Or is this 15-year for 529s? Literally, the 529 for that kid must have been open and kept open. You follow where I'm going with that? Nobody knows. Yeah, we don't know. What's, what's the rule? My gut tells me it's not going to be as liberal as the Roth five-year It's going to be very restrictive where the 529 has to be there with the kid as beneficiary. And because you can't move money within the the first five years or so, remember that, the whole rule, but you can explain to your child, hey, your earnings are way too high, but I opened this Roth, excuse me, this 529 and named you as beneficiary, Way back in uh, 25, you were even done college, but I just had faith in you. I knew it was going to work. I knew you would be successful. I never told you about this, but you have it, and it's now 12 years old, and you can't contribute to a Roth. But why don't you start taking your annual contribution that you want to make to a Roth, put it in your 529, and then in five years, we can move that to your Roth. And do that every year for the next five years, that kid can essentially get 5 years worth of contributions into a Roth. You follow? Does that make sense what I'm trying to say?
2: Yeah, seems a little convoluted. Well, it'll be interesting to see how this gets clarified and evolves over time, but
3: Cuz remember though, you can move growth tax-free as well to the Roth. Right. So if the kid has a 529 doesn't even have to be 15 years old yet. You can just start saying to your child when their earnings are so high and they can't contribute, and they might be saying, gee, I wish I could contribute to a Roth. Well, you can because I opened this small little 529 with a couple of hundred bucks years ago. I always knew you were going to be successful. Stop putting your annual contribution into it. You can't deduct it, but you can't deduct the money going in anyways to a Roth. Stop putting it in now. Invest it aggressively. This is for your retirement. And then in five years, we can move that money tax-free into your Roth. And I do think they're going to increase the $35,000 on par with them increasing automatically the annual contribution amount to a Roth. If not, it's actually a decreasing value. That 35000 in the future isn't 35000 today. I really think that they'll raise this. So if you think about what I just described and map it out in your head, it's kind of a neat way to help your child. They're not thinking of opening up a 529 now. You can. For a couple hundred bucks, name it as beneficiary and don't even tell them about it. If they turn out to be losers, close it and use the money for something else. But it just gets their 15-year clock started. And then they should start making the contributions right away as soon as they, they feel or you feel that... They understand what's going on. Right. And it's just a way to get a little bit, not much, but a little bit in. Okay. The beneficiary has to be the one that receives the money. And it has to go direct. This isn't going to be take the money out of the 529 and then put it in. It has to be a direct trustee-to-trustee transfer. I'm sure the custodians will be all okay with this and figure out the math or the schematics of how to do that on an operational basis. Here's what we don't know. You can change your 529 beneficiary at any time. You can name yourself. Mm-hmm. You can name your spouse. You can name your favorite podcast host as beneficiary. You can name your child, your grandchild. Is the 15-year rule, Chris, mm-hmm. per account or per beneficiary? Mm-hmm. Nobody knows. Anybody want, I'll open up the microphone to you. What do you think it's going to be? I have no idea. I don't know.
2: I don't know. That's, uh, I suspect they're going to make this so complicated and ineffective for most people that this ends up not being a super popular option for folks, but we'll, I guess we can be hopeful that they'll make this, these types of calls, these judgments, these interpretations, um, flexible enough that people can benefit. But I don't, I, I don't know. I'm a little pessimistic on this one, personally.
3: Yeah. I mean, the only good thing that's fairly easy to understand, no earnings limits to the beneficiary. So yeah. they can be making 500000 and they'll still be able to fund a Roth mm-hmm. in this backdoor way, for lack of a better term.
2: Yeah, but you know, you're making that much money. Is the little bit you can do through this worth even screwing around with? I don't know.
3: You never know. To me, any money that you can get protected... From bankruptcy, because a Roth will give bankruptcy protection, mm-hmm. yeah. possibly creditors, depending on the state you live in, and taxes. That's the big one protection from taxes. Every little bit counts. Yeah. And yeah, if you're making half a million dollars putting in, in today's dollars, in the future, these amounts will be more, but let's talk in today's dollars. To be able to put seven and a half thousand if you're over 50, six and a half, is it still six and a half and seven before I spout that? I don't even know if they raise those limits. Have they raised Six and a half and seven and a half, yeah. Okay, so the equivalent of six and a half thousand a year or seven and a half if you're over 50 for someone making 300, 400, 500,000, yeah, it's nothing. But in retirement, it could turn into $100,000 of tax-free money that you could take out and go have fun with. So every little bit helps. And anything that you can get protected from taxes, I think is a wonderful thing. So, Ed is correct. There's no really magic loophole except for what I described. Get the 15-year clock started for your kids. If you have no 529, and even if your kid is 25, 30, 35, and not even in college, has not even going to go to college, doesn't matter. Open a 529 form for a couple hundred bucks in your state's plan, uh, use the do-it-yourself one one. Oh, you vgs know that don't go through the broker and pay a commission do the every state will have their own do-it-yourself version and they have limits of like 25 bucks colorados is 25 to open 25 bucks folks mm-hmm. you don't have to put a couple hundred in get them open and don't even tell the kid and then later on you can tell them it's there and it took care of that 15 year clock because they're not thinking of this to me, it's 10 years after you open it, that's when you start getting them to plan. If they say, oh, I really wish I could contribute to a Roth, but I make too much. Start now. Here's your 529. Your Roth contribution is going to go into the 529 in year 11. It's 10 years old. you got five more years to go. Here's year 11. Put the contribution in there. Put however much you want in. Let it start growing. Invest it aggressively. And then in five more years, that's the first dollars you can move. And then they keep doing that for year 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and you can gradually get it into a Roth. So they're essentially making a Roth contribution in year 10, even though it's going to go into the 529 first. And I personally feel confident they will increase that 35,000 limit each year or at least every couple of years. As they raise the IRA, because remember, the IRAs go up automatically now for inflation. I do think this 35 will someday be indexed for inflation. That, to me, that was just an oversight. So I think that that's a great thing you can be doing for your kids and grandkids. Be careful with the grandkids, though, if they haven't gone to college yet. I'm not too familiar with, with college aid, but 529s might have to be disclosed. But when the kid is done, just open one for them. 25 bucks, get the clock started. That's my take out of this. Couldn't hurt. Okay.
2: Small price to pay to get the clock going.
3: Absolutely. That's the big thing. All right, a couple other things. Let's keep going until Chris tells me to shut up. we got no more time. <laughs> All right. This one's a good one because Chris and I scratched our heads forever on why they had this ruled. I, I know you have no idea what I'm talking about, Chris, but I bet you can figure this out. Which provision in Secure 2 was finally done because before they passed this rule in Secure 2, I couldn't figure out for the life of me why they had this stupid rule with 401ks. Roth 401ks. Let me me specify. Well, that makes the light go off.
2: (laughs) The light bulb go off. Um, It's got to be RMDs on Roth 401ks when there are none on Roth IRAs. There was a glaring disparity between that treatment for 401ks versus IRAs for no logical reason we could ever figure out. So now your Roth 401k, no RMDs, just like a Roth IRA. So there's not this automatic incentive for you to roll it out to the Roth IRA just to avoid having to take money out. So It wasn't going to be taxable, but keeping it within the sheltered space of this tax-protected, tax-free growing environment – that was that's a pretty big deal to a lot of people. So it's got to be that, right?
3: Yep, that's the one. So yeah. they finally got rid of that. So if you have a Roth 401k, you don't have to be forced to take money out. It was just a stupid rule. I, yeah. I I'm sure there was a reason why it was in there, but obviously it couldn't be a very difficult reason cuz they just decreed, nah, no more. Maybe the
2: maybe the there was lobbying by the 401k plan providers and they're like we don't want these things to stay open forever so please leave this provision in even though it goes against in my opinion the fiduciary duty that they have to their plan participants forcing them to take it out when they otherwise wouldn't want to um, if that was the reason it never should have been a reason in the first place because of this fiduciary deal but maybe that was the argument they were making we don't want you know we don't want them to hang out here forever and ever and ever and ever so uh give him incentive to leave
3: <laughs> precisely i kind of like that i think now this is just my opinion folks the government especially the department of labor who's OFA for 2 mind you because pte 2020-02 essentially died on the vine when a court in florida ruled it uh i don't want to say unconstitutional it's not what they rule but they just ruled it's they, they can't do it. The way PTE 2020-02, we did a whole show on it. It was to kind of restrict being able to move your 401k to an IRA if you were going through an advisor. The government feels, and I have to agree with them to a degree, that Americans are losing too much money unnecessarily in asset management fees. And they feel moving from a 401k to an IRA, especially to an IRA that's being managed by someone who's charging one, one and a half, one and a quarter, or whatever the AUM guys out there and gals are charging, uh, is too excessive. I think under the Obama administration who first floated this, uh, I can't remember the amount, but it was billions and billions of dollars per year. Of course, they never released their calculation behind it. They just released a headline number uh, they said is lost in retirement savings to, quote-unquote, excessive fees. Of course, they never defined what excessive means either. But the government doesn't and has really been trying to crack down on retirement dollars being lost to, quote-unquote, excessive management fees. If you're a longtime listener to this podcast, you know I rile Against the AUM approach and what Chris and I feel are excessive and unjustifiable uncapped management fees. They are completely lucrative, they are scalable, they are easy, and the industry loves it because they can make a hell of a lot of money if doing very little work, in my opinion, quote unquote, managing, especially in accumulation portfolio. Distribution portfolio, that's where a good advisor earns their keep, in my opinion. I'll I'll admit that. But an accumulation portfolio to rob one, one and a half, one and a quarter, eight tenths, whatever it may be per year to have an accumulation portfolio that only sees positive cash flows. Yes, I think that's excessive. And the government has been trying since the Obama administration to cut down On this, and they fail at every level because they're trying to do this by fiat rather than having Congress come out with it. And the courts keep striking it down, saying, You've got no standing. You can't do this. And the DOL is now 0 for 2. The DOL rule got thrown out by the courts. PTE essentially got thrown out. Any advisor listening? Because as you probably know, two weeks ago or might be three weeks ago now, the DOL withdrew their appeal of the court that threw it out. They say, nope, we're not even going to appeal this. They said, we're going back to the drawing board and we're going to come out with version three of this rule. And what the DOL is trying to do is not necessarily restrict but just to make people think long and hard before they move money from a 401k to an IRA and have it managed because they feel the fee structure in the 401k is lower. And to a great degree it is. But here's where I will give a shout out to a good advisor. I don't think the 401k market is really geared towards giving individualized personal investment advice they're very good at more global level for people in the 401k if you're a conservative here's a pre-made portfolio for you if you're aggressive here's a pre-made portfolio for you but they don't get into deep planning that a good advisor could so i will give a shout out to good advisors even if you charge an AUM fee that yes you might be able to justify your fee i think what the congress was trying to do is say wait a minute we have a lot of people who are we're trying to encourage them to keep their money in their plan. And we're giving them a perfect reason not to. I'm going to force you to take money out of this Roth, whether you want to or not, unless you move it to an IRA. So what better way to stop bleeding than to say Roth 401ks have no right. RMDs either. Right. So I think that's kind of why Congress put it in there. Congress is going to need to take this up. Because honestly, folks, the DOL has no authority to regulate IRAs. ERISA makes that perfectly clear. They're really contorting themselves like like Gumby, trying to bend themselves into 100 different directions to justify making fiduciary rules with an IRA when it was never explicitly given to them. Congress needs to step in and set rules on this, and maybe someday they will. So that's, that's my insider's view. Uh, it, it may not be right. That and a nickel, as I say, won't buy a cup of tea in China. But that's just my opinion of why this rule is in there. It was designed to help keep money in a 401k where many politicians feel people can save on fees, That's part of the reason Chris and I love our pricing. But this isn't a shout out because we're not accepting new clients right now. Um, We charge a financial planning fee. We charge an investment management fee. They've always been separate. I don't care where your money is. And that's always been a hallmark of mine. Ever since you started working for me, Chris, I told you that. We are always going to do planning. I don't care if we manage their money or not. Hopefully more in the industry will adopt that approach and not insist that all money go to them and they're going to manage it and then give some free little financial plan. So hopefully Congress is is working on that. Okay. Um, Do we have any more time to keep going on to Mm -hmm. a couple?
2: Yeah, we can do a little more.
3: All right. The special needs trust, we're getting into one. Uh, We're going to do separately on um, applicable, I've been practicing that word, applicable multi-beneficiary trusts, uh, AMBTs. Do not have enough time to talk about AMBTs uh, on today's shows. Um, How about employer plans can now go into Roths? That's a pretty cool one, don't you think?
2: Yeah, that one's been
3: attractive to a lot of people I've talked to recently. Okay. Secure 2 makes it clear that employees employers, rather, excuse me, are not required to put their contributions in a Roth, but they have the option to do it. So this is an option that not everyone is going to be able to take advantage of. Right. Cuz right now prior to Secure 2 and this takes effect Uh, I can't see it in my notes. I don't know if it took effect this year or next year. Oh, starting in 2024. So next year. How are Roth, excuse me, how, if you put your money into a Roth 401k, currently, how are the matches from the employer handled, Chris?
2: Uh, Currently and historically, that's been the employer match always goes into the traditional side, no matter what you're personally doing with your contribution, maybe into
3: the Roth side. Exactly. But now you'll, if the employer allows it, will allow the match to go in. However, it's going to be kind of a record keeping nightmare. (laughs) Go figure, right? Yeah. Mostly for the employer, because this will require 401k plans that will permit Roth employer contributions to now have two. Contribution sub-accounts, a pre-tax, and a true Roth. I don't know how that's going to work, but I highlighted that in the notes. Because the employee, excuse me, Congress or the IRS needs to track both accounts. I don't know. Let's see. Uh, maybe plant. Yeah, I wrote here's, I wrote hand notes based on what Ed was saying as they were talking. And here's my exact yeah, no. And and if you saw my handwriting, folks, since my stroke, I'm left-handed and I can't write too well anymore, but I can clearly see what I wrote. This may be a plan administrative headache. And I think that's why Congress said, you can't be forced, Mr. and Mrs. Employer, to do this. Here are the rules if you do want to allow this, though. I think some larger 401ks will do it first. I think smaller ones are going to wait. Until the nuances of this get worked out and the industry catches up with fintech, financial technology, that's going to make tracking these two separate Roth accounts possible. Because right now, I don't think they have the software. And I don't even think in 2024 they're going to have the software. So don't think come January 2024 you can get a hold of your employer and say, I want my match to go into my Roth now. I think it's going to take them a while to write the software, to write the code, to get it in there appropriately and to track this.
2: Yeah, I think that's I guess yet to be seen how popular it's going to become with the employers because there are a lot of provisions that were allowed or, you know, by IRS, by Congress making things permissible that a lot of plans either were very reluctant to or slow to adopt or maybe resi- just completely never adopted them. So this is going to be a plan-by-plan plan decision. And um, you know, bringing up with your HR department that you're in support of this would be one way to maybe lobby for this to become an option at your employer. Um, a lot of those things do get changed if enough employees ask for it. But this is one, another one of those yet-to-be-seen how available this option might be.
3: And if you're wondering what the two accounts are for and mm-hmm. what you're getting at, let me read some of our notes. This would be just verbatim uh, from uh, the notes that we were given. Why two accounts? What are the tax consequences? The new law indicates for tax purposes, Roth employer contributions will be treated the same as Roth employee contributions, that is employees will be taxed on the amount of the Roth contribution. Remember, this is the match. You already know your contributions are being taxed. The employer's contribution now is going to be taxed to you. However, the IRS needs to confirm that taxation will occur in the year the contribution is made. So what if it is made for a prior year? There is no guidance. The IRS must also clarify whether the taxable amount on employer Roth matches will be reported to employees as a Form 1099 R distribution, mm-hmm. essentially treating it folks as if it was put into the traditional, then it was distributed into the Roth almost as a quote unquote conversion. Mm-hmm. So are you going to list it as a 1099 R or is it going to be declared on your W two as wages? Yep. Nobody knows no guidance whatsoever on this. That's why I'm saying it is a record keeping administrative nightmare No guidance from the IRS yet. None expected in the next six months. Took 18 months for guidance from Secure One. I don't think you're going to see many plans allowing this next January. We just don't know yet how this is going to be done. And they don't have the FinTech yet, folks, to track it. Is it a 1099-R or is it W-2 wages huge difference in taxation between those two and we have no guidance no no understandings of that
2: yep can't wait to see how it evolves i think it's good what they're trying to do because particularly for young workers having as much roth option as possible i believe is beneficial for them but um as usual (laughs) the rules roll out that aren't finally polished through every detail and and then there's this evolution of adoption uh, over time. So I'll keep my fingers crossed that it goes well, and a lot of people have that option eventually.
3: Okay, last two, and then we're done for secure. Two short ones. Okay. Catch-up contributions for age 60 to 63 for plans and simple IRAs. That is, in a, a, everybody knows that once you reach age 50, you get these special catch-up contributions. Now, beginning in twenty twenty. So still a while from now, probably ample time to get guidance on this. Starting in 2025, employees age 60, 61, 62, and 63. And notice, folks, this is for plans and simple IRAs, not traditional IRAs. This isn't going to be a catch-up contribution you can put into your own IRA. It's to go through employer plans. A simple IRA is an employer-sponsored IRA. So this isn't just for any Joe Schmo with their own IRA. It's only for employer plans. But essentially, at age 60, 61, 62, and 63, so even though it says 60 to 63, and it seems like just three years, it's actually four, because you get all of age 60 through all of age 63, you can make even higher catch-up contributions it'll be a hundred and fifty percent of whatever that year's regular catch-up contribution is so let's just say the catch-up contribution to give a round number is five thousand dollars when you're 60 61 62 and 63 you can put in 500 plus 50 percent, or 2500 for 7500 total just for those four years.
2: Well, there's also, in your example, you'd actually fall under the the larger cap of 10000 It's the greater of $10,000 or 150% of the standard catch-up contribution. Did that catch you by surprise?
3: Yeah, because that's not in my notes, so I don't know what you just said. Can you put it in English?
2: Yeah, so the special catch-up contribution for people 60 to 63 is the greater of 10,000 or 150% of the standard contribution. So right now, the 10,000 is going to be bigger. As the regular contribution starts going up, then 150% of the standard contribution is going to exceed that possibly. But I think they're talking about growing the, the 10,000 amount too. So the, the minimum special catch-up,
3: I don't see, and Chris, I'm not disputing you at all. I'm just reading all my notes. Yeah, maybe I don't have the latest Let uh, let me read my notes. This is verbatim. It's a very short paragraph we spent on this because it's just an added catch-up. Let me read exactly what's in the book. For those employees who are age 50 or older, the employer plan probably allows them to make catch-up contributions above the regular deferral limit. For example, in 2023, employees can make an extra 7500 on top of the regular $22,500 of 401k deferrals. Starting in 2025, employees age 60, 61, 62, or 63 can make even higher catch-up contributions. The catch-up limit for 2025 will be 150% of the regular catch-up limit in effect the previous year, higher catch-ups will also be available for simple IRA participants only. That's all they dedicated to this. Nothing hmm. about ten thousand.
2: Yeah, I've read in several locations, and and maybe yeah, I'll well, let me go while you're talking about the second topic. <laughs> I'll go to a a very reputable source to confirm this. Doctor Google. Now I'll go and check it with Kitsis, Kitsis or Ed Slot, and, and this and, is Ed Slot. Well, yeah, but I'm ch- catching from, from Ed. <laughs> the up-to-date ed slot maybe so because it's in many places described like i described so okay
3: the next one and this is the last one as chris looks that up because i i don't have anything in my notes on that ten thousand, and it's possible that ed missed it he's not perfect This is the wrap-up, finally, and this one has already ticked off some of you listeners because you you voiced it to me, not angrily towards me. I have nothing to do in this. Just some people have written to me, I think, just as a way to vent that they're kind of angry over this. Uh, And again, it's, I think, Congress's way of screwing it to people who actually apply themselves and are successful. Uh, Somehow you are evil and should be vilified. Mandatory Roth catch-up contributions. Let me just read what Ed wrote, and he wrote just, just one paragraph on it again. Starting in 2024, certain age 50 or older plan participants who want to make catch-up contributions must make them as Roth contributions. So in other words, you can't deduct it. you got to put it in uh, a Roth. You have no choice. What they're trying to nail here, folks, as you'll see when I continue reading, is getting people who are in, the say, the highest bracket, which is, 30, is it 30, 37. It's going back up to 39.6. Um, but by then, it'll be 39, or close to 39.6. They're trying to keep people who are in the 37 or 39.6 bracket to put it in a deductible contribution and then later convert it in the 28 or 32 brackets. Into a Roth. So they're saying if you make a certain amount of money, you must put your catch up contributions into a Roth. I think this might be the precursor, folks, to mandatory Roth for people who make more than a certain amount of money. They're just getting the door open. They're saying your contributions, you evil, well paid people who succeeded in life. They're saying you can still deduct your contributions, your, your uh, elective deferrals, as they call them. But if you want to put extra in, that catch-up, you have to put it into a Roth and pay the higher taxes. No more getting the deduction now while you're working and then converting it in lower brackets, which we love doing that strategy. So let me continue reading as Chris is researching this. This rule applies to anyone with wages in excess of $145,000 indexed for inflation in the previous year. And then I highlighted and also wrote some hand notes. Because of the reference in the law to, quote, unquote, wages. Remember that, folks. They defined it as wages. It appears that self-employed individuals who actually don't earn, quote-unquote, wages, can continue to make catch-ups on a pre-tax basis. They defined it as wages. I think in the guidance, they're going to come out and explain what wages are. So do keep that in mind. Uh, And I wrote in, in my handwritten notes. What, what? I apologize, folks. One, I can't read my handwriting. Again, it's my stroke, folks. I'm sorry. I can't read what I said above that. But below it, it looks like I wrote, don't count any other wages? Question mark. Ask Ed. I didn't ask him about that. But it was my take that they haven't defined if you're self-employed. what way, Are you counting those wages or not? And what about other type of of income? Is that going to count as wages? What if you have massive interest income and it's making your quote-unquote gross income higher? Are they counting that? Or is it actual wages for that employer? Is it only W-2? Would it be K-1? No guidance. They just said wages. So don't stop freaking on this yet, folks. We don't have the guidance For this provision of the law of what they're defining as wages. I don't think they're going to allow such a huge loophole for self-employed people to be able to do this. So I think they are going to count multiple sources of income as wages. Will they count taxable interest? Many people who listen to this podcast, you have half a million, a million, a million more in brokerage accounts generating thirty forty, fifty, sixty thousand of annual income. You know that Are you going to be forced to count that? we don't know there's so much ambiguity there again we 're looking for guidance. The bigger takeaway is where I think they 're going with this. I think there will become a time, especially once they define what quote-unquote wages are, where if you earn more than a certain amount, and it will probably be an amount that most people listening to this podcast are earning or will eventually earn, they're going to force you into Roths so they can tax you at higher amounts now rather than allowing you to get a bigger deduction at 396 in the not-too-distant future. Remember, January 1st of 2026 is going back to 39.6, where you can get a deduction at 39.6, essentially. I know because of the brackets, it's not quite that, so hear me out. But they don't want you getting deductions at that level and then converting them later at much lower tax brackets. They think that is a, quote-unquote, loophole, and I think this is the first step. Did you find anything about that ten grand? I did. I don't yeah, see I've, got, anything.
2: I've got clarification on it. Um, so the actual law is written with that wording: greater of ten thousand or one hundred and fifty percent of the regular ketchup amount. Reason why Ed left it out is it's a moot point because one hundred and fifty percent of the current ketchup, current ketchup is seventy five hundred. One hundred and fifty percent of that is eleven thousand two fifty. So it's, so it's, it's already, it's above, already above the ten. So the ten is extra words in there that don't need to be there. So that's why. The, the, the wording is like I described, but effectively all you need to worry about is the 150% piece at this point.
3: Yep. Okay. Yeah. Well, folks, I think that wraps up our secure discussion. I hope you all found it interesting. Got off we need the weeds a fair amount, but We need uh, guidance yeah. on so much mm-hmm. of this. But there's a little nutshell of... What you can expect in Secure 2, Lord only knows when they'll pass Secure 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 as they go on. Yeah. But uh, mark my words, eventually the evil rich, however they define that, and 145000 a year to me is not the evil rich, will eventually be forced into roths. And it's not going to be nearly as beneficial to you anymore because the the game is to get your deduction now while you're working and convert during the tax planning window. Much of the tax planning, Chris and I do, and many of you, everybody thinks, oh, I want tax planning, I want tax planning, I want tax planning. There's only a window of opportunity for tax planning. It's kind of like a plug-in, like a Lego. Just plug it right in. At this time period in in my life, uh, I can use tax planning usually when you're working, there's not much tax planning, unless the analysis shows you're going to have massive distributions that are greater than your current wages. But for most people right now, your wages are higher. And then you're going to have this window, usually between retirement and when Social Security starts, or retirement and RMD starts, that you might benefit from some Really advanced tax planning strategies. Of course, a lot of that has to do with your tax priority number 210 and things of that nature. But tax planning gets gets a lot of attention as well it should. And I think the government is on to that. And they're going to force people into Roths, especially higher-wage ones, because they know they can get more in income taxes out of you, and that's what they're trying to do. Politicians are very short-term. They want the money now. Let a future Congress worry about all that tax-free money in a Roth in the future. And I see it coming. Just mock my words. I see that coming.
2: Possible. So thanks, everybody, for listening through this series. Uh, Like Jim mentioned, we're going to move towards uh – EDU shows Annuities. related to Annuity Appreciation Month, or whatever it's officially called. Uh, we're going to appreciate it. National
3: Annuity Awareness, oh, awareness. Month. On, get not with it. Just and awareness. And I'm still waiting for my card. I didn't get a card last year from you for National Annuity Awareness You know, I was just at the Hallmark
2: market. store, and I didn't see those, well, but I'll have to ask them. Maybe they hide them behind the counter.
3: They probably sold out of them by the time maybe, you got there. Get there maybe. early, because okay. these, are, these are in high demand. <laughs> yeah. Apparently. So. I, I,
2: well, thanks. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. And uh, if you've got your own questions, maybe annuity-based questions, you know, kind of seed some of the EDU topics for the, for the month. Or uh, if there's a follow-up to some of our Secure Act uh, shows that have just happened, just send an email directly to Jim. Jim at jimhelps.com is the email address. Make sure in the subject line you indicate it's a question for the podcast. And uh, hopefully that will get his attention. So thanks a lot, Jim, for bringing all that information back from the Ed Slot program. It saves us having to go attend ourselves. And uh, we'll be back with everybody else next week with a brand new show.
1: You have listened to Jim on the radio, read his quotes in the media, and enjoyed his banter on iTunes. But even now you may wonder what sets Jim Salmier and Associates apart from other financial planning companies. The answer is quite simple. Jim's diverse team of professionals specializes in retirement planning. They form a lifelong relationship with you and measure their success not through product sales, but through the security and prosperity you may achieve in your retirement. Jim's entire team shares his unwavering commitment to placing their clients' best interests first while offering their services at fair prices with full disclosures. The professionals at Jim Sonnier and Associates are available to assist you with your retirement planning needs. Visit JimHelps.com to schedule your complimentary coffee and a second opinion meeting. That's Jim, H E L P S, dot com, Or call 970 530 0556.
0: is offered through Jim Solnier and Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor.